Welcome to the SCG Church Young Adults Podcast, where we get to bring you sermons and content to help bring you closer to Jesus, develop your faith, and keep you up to date with everything young adults. Join us Sunday nights at 7 p.m. in the SCG Church Warehouse for our young adult service, or at our main campus services. We hope you enjoy. Amen. All right. Wow, it's really bright up here. It's crazy. All right. On January 6, 1941... President D. Roosevelt addressed Congress of the state of the war that was happening in Europe at this time. Eleven months later, though, the U.S. report would be pulled into World War II due to a historical, also as well as tragic, event of Pearl Harbor on December 7th, 1941. Now, much of what President Roosevelt said in his address that January, has pretty much been forgotten, except for the closing part of his address. And as he looked out to Congress, as I look out to you guys, he looked forward and he said this. He looked forward to a world upon that four essential human freedoms would be established. And he went on to name them. He said freedom of speech, freedom of worship, freedom from want, and freedom from fear. These words are actually still remembered even to this day. Even though their ideals have not been fully realized in the world that we live in today, these, wor- these words still live on. Romans chapter 8 is the Christian declaration of freedom. Paul, uh, who wrote the book, talks about the freedoms we can enjoy because of our union with Christ. Now, as I was studying through this chapter, it really emphasized the Holy Spirit. In fact, it goes so far to emphasize the Holy Spirit is actually mentioned 19 times just in this one chapter. I think a good way to sum up freedom as well as the Holy Spirit is you, if you remember, there's a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, and it says, for where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now, everyone, I hope you're all doing well. My name is Robert. I'm the high school guy here at SCG, and welcome to Seacoast Grace Young Adults Edition. Um, today, we are going to be continuing our study in Romans chapter 8. Now, if you were here a couple weeks back, Matt actually spoke on Romans chapter 7, and we kind of were going through that process. Now, this was a pretty heavy passage, Romans 7. If you were here for all of Romans 7, it was pretty heavy. Um, the passage was mainly talking about how we go back and forth from what we want to do to what we should do, right? And that back and forth do good, but evil is right there with me. In all honesty, it's, be, it's hard to do that because, well, we stink. We're not good at it at all. Now, Paul does something really cool this week, though. He does something really interesting in the fact that he shifts his view in a very interesting way. You see, Romans chapter 8 is the pinnacle of the book of Romans. To make this more clear, uh, if you were to take the book of Romans and think of it as a ring, the diamond on that ring would be Romans 8. I would even go as far to say that, in fact, most scholars and theologians even state that Romans 8 is said to be, if not the greatest chapter in the entirety of the Bible. Because of the theological treasure trove that Romans 8 entails. And so, as we dive in today, I'm actually going to take you through verses 1 through 11. Um, I broke it into two chunks, and you kind of have to with Romans 8, like I was saying earlier, because of the fact that this, you could spend a whole entire year 
just on Romans chapter 8. So if you have a Bible, please open it up. I'm going to break it up in two chunks. First, we're going to go through verses 1 through 4. Then we'll go through 5 through 11. Um, So if you have your Bibles, please open up to Romans chapter 8. If you do not, do not worry. It'll be on the screen. I'm in the NIV version. Matt and Tim, uh, they usually use the ESV. It's because they're smarter than me. Um, That's pretty much it. Uh, I like the NIV because it's more simpler. I'm just a simple man, and that's all I need is just simple. All right? So I use the NIV. Anyways, verses be up on the screen says this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, like I said, I have to break this part into chunks. Um, let me tell you, every single word, you can go back to, to, the, to the slide where the Bible verses are. Every single word in verse 1 that you just read drips with importance. I cannot say this enough. You can spend, I can spend an entire sermon just on verse 1. However, due to the fact of time constraints, I can't do that. We'd be here till midnight. But it drips with importance, and so I want to take us back to the beginning of verse 1. Now, in my version, therefore is first. So if you have a highlighter, pencil, whatever, therefore, highlight, underline, diamond. I don't know if you can even diamond a thing, but try it anyways. Verse 1, word 1, therefore, all right? Highlight that, whatever you want to do. I told you, every single word in Romans chapter 8 drips with importance, especially in verse 1. So in Romans, the throwback, right, all the way to Romans chapter 3, verse 20, shows us therefore of condemnation, all right? But Romans 8.1 gives the therefore of no condemnation. Now, which is a tremendous truth, and actually it's a conclusion of a marvelous argument that Paul was knitting together all of this time. You see, this is a wonderful phrase for within Adam, right, we were condemned. In Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. In Christ, there is freedom from judgment. So here's where it really starts to get good. And this is the part where, like, this is honestly where, like, the fun begins, all right? So I want you to take a look at the next few set of words where it says now, so it says no condemnation, all right? Now, I don't want you to take this no part lightly, all right, this, this no should not be taken lightly. It should not, this no is not a casual no. In fact, in the original Greek, Paul actually put the no at the beginning of the sentence. It would be like, no, now, therefore, condemnation. Because what Paul was illustrating is the importance of the word no at that time. So we had to obviously change it for the translation to make us read better in grammar sense. But this no is not a simple no. It's not a, I don't care. No, you're all good. No, don't worry about it. This no is a very deep and dynamic no. You guys understand? Like, it's, it's a very deep no. So how you would read this, you go, therefore, there is now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That's what Paul is trying to get here. He's trying to get to the point to, hey, I need you to understand how important this no is. It is not just a casual no. It's a very deep and dynamic no. So Paul immediately goes on to explain. 
right? Since there is no condemnation for Christians because God has condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son to pay the penalty of sin through his death on the cross. Like it says in John 14, 6, for Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So what Paul is affirming here in just verse 1 is that you cannot receive the no condemnation unless it is through Jesus Christ. You cannot receive eternal life unless it's through Jesus Christ. You cannot receive freedom from judgment unless it is through Jesus Christ. And this is actually one of the main problems that our world has with Christianity because of its exclusivity. Because of the fact that Christianity, there's not multiple ways to heaven. It is only one way, and that is through Jesus. And that's what Paul emphasizes in verse 1, and he goes back to John 14, 6. I'm telling you, this is crazy. It took me forever to do this. But I don't want you guys to get confused. So when I say no condemnation, I don't want you guys to get confused. I want you guys to listen up. The verse does not say no mistakes or no failures or even no sins. Because obviously, we're all people here. We're all, at least some of us are Christians. I don't know your story. I'm just making an assumption. But Christians do fail. We make mistakes and we do sin. Honestly, if I were just to recall my past week, I probably have made 500 mistakes just in this past week. And a lot of it had to do with driving because people don't know how to use their blinkers. I'm sorry if you're that person that does not use your blinker. God forgives. I don't. <laughs> but, so I'm sorry. Uh, but here's the deal, all right? And I need to remind you, because from the Bible, you can look at all the stories from the heroes of the faith. Like Abraham. Abraham lied about his wife, which is a pretty cool story. You should go read that in the book of Genesis. David committed adultery, which I believe Matt talked about last week. And Peter tried to kill a man with a sword, For those of you that think that Peter just intentionally just cut off the guy's ear, that's not possible. The dude was going for the kill. If you guys ever seen the movie Gladiator, whenever someone picks up a sword, it's going to behead them. It's not to like, oh, I'm just going to simply just cut off your ear and just give you like a flesh wound. That's not what it is. It is, I was trying to kill you. And all these people, they suffered consequences for their sin, but they did not suffer condemnation. You see, the law condemns, but the believer has a new relationship to the law, and therefore the law, therefore he cannot be condemned. Now, diving into verse 2, the law cannot claim you. You have been made free from the law of sin and death. You have life in the Spirit. You have moved into a whole new sphere of life in Christ. See, the law of sin and death is what actually Paul described in Romans chapter 7, verses 7 to 25. The law of the spirit of life is described in Romans 8. So the law no longer has any jurisdiction over you. You are dead to the law and free from the law. Now, I want to be clear again, because this is super important, because this can get kind of confusing. The law that Paul is talking about here is understood figuratively. It seems not possible that Paul would be referring to the law of Moses, which is the Ten Commandments. Um, The Ten Commandments, they are eternal. They stick with you forever. As the law of sin and death in the present passage that we are reading, the law is used in the sense of a principle to indicate the assurance and consistency of the purpose that characterizes sin, which leads to death. Now, 
Going into verse 3, I know I'm kind of jumping through this, but I don't want to keep you guys here until like midnight tonight. So um, jumping into verse 3, Christ came and took the suffering of that condemnation that we so rightly deserved. See, the law could not save. It can only condemn. I'm sure you remember this. Matt talks about this all the time, how the law is a reflection towards you to show, hey, you're kind of messed up. So the law could not save. It could only condemn. You see, the problem is not caused by something intrinsic to the law, but it's rather a result of flesh and sin. The law makes demands and it condemns. Who's, uh, when those demands are not met, um, it, that's what happens, but it cannot overcome sin. The, ability, the inability of the law demanded another solution, namely the person action of God in Christ. <clears throat> the mission could not have been entrusted to anyone else or anyone less than his son, Jesus Christ. See, Jesus, for those of you who don't know, for those of you who are new here, if you're new here, welcome. Uh, super stoked you're here. Make sure you ask questions if you have any questions on the paper in front of you, or, um, or even just come up and talk to me. I'd love to get to meet you. I'd love to get to know you. See, Jesus did not come as an angel. He came as man. And so what we're talking about here, right, he did not come in sinful flesh. So what that means, sinful flesh, is just a big word that just means Jesus did not come the normal way that you and I are made, all right? He came in likeness of sinful flesh as a man. What Paul is stating here, he's actually affirming the virgin birth, that Jesus actually, he did not come from the ways that you and I came. He came from a different way from the Holy Spirit through the virgin birth of Mary. For if that did not happen, Jesus would be in sinful flesh. You'd be like you and me. He would be descendants of Adam, which honestly would do nothing for us. Everything he did would be meaningless if he did not come the way he did come through the virgin birth through Mary. Because of Jesus, right, because of Jesus coming through that way, he bore our sins in his body on the cross. Finally, we see in verse 4, you see the believer, right, lives a righteous life not in the power of the law, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. The law does not have the power to produce holiness. It can only reveal and condemn sin, like I was talking about earlier. But the Holy Spirit enables you to walk in obedience to God's will. The righteousness that God demands in his law is fulfilled in you through the Spirit's power. In the Holy Spirit, you have life and freedom. You see, the twist that I was talking about earlier, how Paul moves and shifts in a very interesting way from Romans 7 to 8, is one of victory and freedom. See, I want you to remember, right, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, 2 Corinthians 3.17. So with that as a reminder, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. In this next section, Paul is now describing life between two different people. How those, two, how those two different people and how the differences between those two, as well as a warning for those who claim to be one person, but in reality are not. So we're going to go through verses 5 through 11. Bear with me. I know it's going to be a lot, but I'll try to be quick. It says this in verse 5, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. 
Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who and if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give his life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. I know it's a lot, so I'm sorry. But we see Paul, right? He is describing two types of people here, and this is pretty important. So you can highlight, underline, diamond it. Does anyone even try that yet? You want to try to diamond your, no? Okay, cool. I'm just going to move on. The believer and the unbeliever, right? So highlight, underline, the believer and unbeliever, all right? The unbeliever, right, does not have the spirit, only thinks of things of the flesh. Their mind is centered on the flesh, like worldly pleasures, worldly mindsets, and materialism, which means whatever they say is to the world. They're a part of the world. They want to be with the world. They're in the world. However, the believer has the spirit of God within them, and lives an entirely new and different sphere. Their mind is fixed on things of the Spirit. So let me ask you this question. Does this mean that, that uh, the unbeliever never does anything good? Or the believer never does anything bad? No, of course not. We all do things bad. I mean, we're all sinful. Just because I'm up here speaking does not mean I'm perfect. So what Paul, is, what Paul is actually stating here is that it's the bent of their lives that is different. One lives for flesh, and the other lives for the Spirit. Those in the flesh behave as sons and daughters of Adam, of the sinful Adam, and are hostile to God, whereas those who live in the Spirit are seen as children of God. What this text also begins to tell us is that you cannot claim to be a Christian and live like a non-Christian. In order to explain this like the best way I possibly could, being the high school guy and all, um, I want to use an example for you guys, a physical example. And I'm going to use it with the top 10 best drink of all time, and that is chocolate milk. All right? So as I do this, right, so Paul, what he's saying here is that there is, right, people, right? And I got a gallon of milk. So I'm sorry if you're lactose in here. Um, you can't have chocolate milk, so that's a bummer. Um, but anyways... So, so we'll take the milk, right? That's one of us, just us, plain old human beings who are sinful and whatnot. My goodness, do you guys see that pour? It was crazy. I should work at Spaghettinis. Um, anyways, those of you who don't know, it's an Italian place. They serve beef. I don't know. All right, it's pretty good. Anyways, moving on. Sorry, I'm going on a tangent. And then, so the two people, right, will be the plain milk. The chocolate syrup is the Holy Spirit. Delicious, I'm telling you. Um, anyways, the spoon is nothing. Don't worry about the spoon. Now, let me explain to you this. You can have chocolate and milk and yet not have a glass of chocolate milk. Does that make sense? You can have chocolate and milk and yet not have a glass of chocolate milk. Just Snaps. It's poetry right there. It's a poetry show right now. So, right, so we obviously understood. Let me just re-go through this again. The two people, right, the glasses of milk, all of us, persons, average Joes, 
whatever you want to do. The chocolate is the spirit, all right, given to the person when they receive Christ. So, right, let's say this person, uh, now that one has a spider in it. Oh, that person not received Christ. That's gross. I'm not going to drink it. So anyways, the spirit's being poured out, right? I'm like, ah, yeah, I like a lot of chocolate. Don't judge me. All right, anyways. So, you see the milk in one glass and the chocolate in another, right? Now, most of you guys, what's the difference here? Judging from just what I just did, obviously, you guys know the difference, but let's say you did it. You wouldn't be able to tell because they're both the same, right? You guys starting to get the point now? I sure hope so. See, you see, the milk is in one glass, right? You cannot tell the difference, which is the milk, which is the chocolate syrup. Despite the person who claims to be a Christian, there is no difference in their life. There should be a difference in you to where people closest in your life can see that difference. There should be, you, when you become a Christian, there should be such a huge change in your life. There should be a difference in your life that the people closest to you begin to ask questions. Like, what the heck is wrong with you? Why are you smiling all the time? What changed? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you hanging out with us anymore? So let me ask you this question. If someone were to follow you around for a whole day, would they see a believer or an unbeliever? You see, there should be a difference in the way that people see you, especially if you're claiming to be a Christian. There should be a difference in the way that people see you. I remember I was listening to this one pastor um, a couple years back, and he was talking about a story that happened to his friend. Now, his friend worked a normal nine-to-five job in a cubicle, and his, his next-door neighbor cubicle, uh, his work buddy, um, suddenly one day came over to him and said, hey, like, I'm, just, I'm like really happy and like this weekend was great. And he's like, oh, like why? Like what happened? And he's like, oh, I gave my life to Christ. And he's like, oh my gosh, that's awesome. What church you go to? Because I'm a Christian too. The person literally told him, oh, I never knew you were a Christian. Possibly the worst thing you could ever hear in your entire life if you claim to be a Christian. If someone comes up to you and says, oh, I never knew you were a Christian. That means you're doing something horribly wrong right? Because that means this person is seeing you like this. He's not seeing you any different from this guy. You're just the same old, simple, average Joe. And that's a problem. And so if you're here tonight, I'm telling you this right now, you cannot claim to be a Christian and not have anyone at least question you or not have anyone at least figure out, oh, your life is different. Now, let's get back to the milk real quick. All right? So we're going to take the same milk at the bottom, and we're going to stir it, right? It's activating the Holy Spirit. This person's going off, right? The person went to the Asbury Revival. They're feeling themselves, and they're just going for it, all right? So the milk, so the stirring, right, begins, right, as the Holy Spirit begins to change and transform the soul through prayer, reading scripture, confession of sin, and many spiritual disciplines. Spiritual transformation occurs. Now, I'm not going to go too deep into spiritual transformation because Matt will talk about that in the later weeks to come. So with that being said, right, what's the difference here? Now you see the difference. It's a little bit darker and, and the same milk, right? The difference is 
this person living in God, living as a Christian, activating with the Holy Spirit, committing themselves to prayer, doing all the things they need to do, right? Spiritual disciplines, living out their faith, living out their faith in a way that is different from the rest of the world. So what a difference it makes when the Holy Spirit lives within you, you can experience a new life. Now, D.L. Moody, uh, for those of you who don't know D.L. Moody, he is an American evangelist, and he actually founded the Bible Institute, uh, the Moody Bible Institute, sorry, uh, in, uh, in Chicago, I believe. And pretty much what he says and goes on in an article, he goes on to describe his conversion experience. And he says this, and I quote, I was in a new world. The next morning, the sun shone brighter. The birds sang sweeter. The old elms waved their branches for joy. All the nature was at peace. Now, I can tell you quotes of famous people like, um, like J.R.R. Tolkien, who wrote Lord of the Rings, um, and a whole bunch of other people about their conversion experience. But I thought, well, let me just tell you mine and how Jesus truly changed my life and how that truly swapped me. So I grew up in an atheist household. Um, these people, like my parents, they were parties. They were partiers. I literally went to a party every single weekend um, from the time I was, from the time I remember, which is like kindergarten. My parents, they were drinking, they were doing all the things that parents do from like noon to three o'clock in the morning. And when I was in first grade, I had friends who were up to like sixth grade. And we would all hang out because we were all in the neighborhood together. And I would be going as a first grader to 7-Eleven at like 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. So it's pretty cool, pretty safe, I'm not going to lie. Um, but as I grew up, right, everything about my life was of the world. Didn't care to know God, was just having fun with what I was doing. And honestly, I would have been categorized as an unbeliever. Everything I did was for my own selfishness, for my own interests, right, my own ego, with everything that happened in my life, I'm going to tell you this right now, I should not have found Jesus. And it's funny because my wife and I, we joke about this. We were actually joking about this this past week, how it seemed nearly impossible for me to discover Jesus with the life that I had. Looking back, what may seem impossible in my eyes is never impossible for God. I was that one that he searched after. I don't know if you remember the parable of the, the lost sheep. In places where I thought I never would have been found, God found me. I never once thought with the parents that I have, the life that I grew up in, I never thought I would ever meet Jesus. And little did I know, God had a different plan for me. He found me. He gave me a home, gave me a family, and everything changed when I started coming to this very church. I sat in the very seats that you guys sit in back when I was in high school, the very job I do now, and my journey of the Christian faith all began with one simple question. Is this Jesus guy even a real guy to begin with? Because if I'm going to give up everything that I thought was awesome and cool, I need to know if this guy even existed. And from there, it took me like nine months. And on August of 2014, I gave my life to Christ. And I'm still a new Christian. I've only been a Christian for eight years. I think that's math. I don't know. 
but I've only been a Christian. I'm still a baby Christian. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. And just like what Moody said, my life and my eyes began to open. When I gave my life to Christ, everything started to change. Everything started to make sense. The world I saw was different. In fact, and it's funny, I remember at camp, um, I was up at a, a Christian camp. For those of you who've never been, there's this time where it's like, I don't know what to call it. It's like a campfire night, the bonfire night. I don't know. Anyways, you sit around with everyone at camp, and you pretty much just, it's like a giant bonfire. The pastor's up there, and he's like just preaching like a very deep sermon, and um, pretty much you're with the whole entire camp. But this time around, the pastor kind of stepped down, and he said, hey, I want to ask you guys a question. There's 800 of us there. He's like, I want to ask you guys a question. How has Jesus changed your life? I want people, you can just stand up, whatever, shout out, whatever you want to shout out. How has Jesus changed your life? So I stood up in front of 800 people, and I yelled out, God has set a fire in me, and I'm all fired up. Most cringiest thing I've ever said in my entire life. No, it's okay to laugh. All 800 people laughed. It's fine. But I didn't feel judgment, all right? I'm not crying, you're crying. But I didn't feel judgment, which is the funniest thing in the world, even though I look back at it and it's the cringiest thing I've ever said in my entire life. But to this day, to this day though, I still feel that fire in me despite how big or how small it may be some months. Those of you who are Christians, you might have an understanding of that because sometimes we go through ebbs and flows of life of our faith. So despite how small or how big the fire within me is, the fire will always be with me, firing me up throughout life. Because I know the firm foundation that I have in Christ. The fire within me has burned away, right? All the shame, guilt, sin, and fear that was within me. Because of my belief, I know that I have no condemnation. For Jesus took that upon himself. I have no condemnation from the law. It's funny, speaking of the law, I mean, in our country, we have a law, the law of double jeopardy, which states that a man cannot be tried twice for the same crime. Since Jesus Christ paid the penalty for our sin and for all those who are in Christ, God will not condemn you. God's not going to go, all right, cool. My son died on the cross you're also going to go there too. It's like, what? That doesn't make any sense, right? That would take the whole purpose away from what Jesus did. But Christ paid the penalty for our sin. For all those who are in Christ, God will not condemn you. So let me ask you this question. We'll kind of wrap up today. Are you still holding on to all that shame, guilt, sin, and fear? You see, the enemy wants you to remember all that. He wants you to tell yourself, hey, you're not good enough, dude. You suck. Oh, you think you, oh, no, you're horrible at this. Why are you even trying? He wants you to remember all the guilt. Oh, do you remember that sin you did like this last night? Don't go to church, dude. They don't, they'll, they'll judge you. He wants you to remember those things. However, as I've just told you, for all those in Christ Jesus, you will not be condemned by God. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Your debt has been paid. There's actually a verse in the Bible, I think it's 
in Hebrews 8, I believe. Yeah, Hebrews 8. Don't know what verse. I think it's 12, but I think it's Hebrews 8. It talks about how God, once you sin and you ask for forgiveness, God remembers your sin no more as far as the east is from the west. So picture this with me. You have a globe, right? When you go, let's say you're going south, you eventually go north. You go east, you never go west. You're always going east. That's what that scripture is saying. As far as east is from the west. You'll never, God, as far as east is from the west, you'll never go west. You always go east, right? That's how the globe works. Because for all those in Christ Jesus, you will not be condemned by God. Your debt has been paid. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, right? Verse 17. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Put your arm around someone. We're going to pray out. And you guys can break out into your groups and whatnot. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for everything that you do here. Uh, thank you for this building, this place, these people that are here. Thank you for allowing us to have the privilege to speak your word and worship you in a public setting, for there are countries around the world, God, that people do not get to do this. And so, Lord, I'm thankful for the privilege that you've given us, that we've been able to do this for your kingdom. And God, I just pray that if there's people here in this room, that they would just come to understanding that with Christ, there is no condemnation, that there's sin, guilt, and shame, and fear. That's the enemy wanting them to remember that. But all those who believe in Christ will not have any condemnation. For you sent your son to die for us. And so, Father, I just pray you please continue to be with every single young adult here. Help them to know that they're loved. Help them to know that they are forgiven. Help them to know that you can find them. So, Father, I just pray you please continue to guide these young adults in their lives. Give them courage this week. Give them wisdom. Help them to live a life that is different. Help them to live differently of the world and help them to continue to move forward for the kingdom of God, to be the salt and light of the earth. So, Father, I just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to the SCG Church Young Adults Podcast. For more information about our services, events, and ways to get involved, head on over to scgchurch.org. Thanks again for listening.